according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, one more time in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. If we hit it hard and fast enough, we'll finish this chapter today, uh, possibly next week, and then move on into chapter 15. We've covered five points of study in this chapter, taking us down through verse 24. Our fifth point, the church's greater works require the Trinitarian abiding love. And uh, this was the exposition of verses 15 through 24, looking at the emphasis on agapao and agape throughout that whole stretch. Let's get right back to it here this morning. But before we do, we'll take a moment for silent prayer, giving each one of us the opportunity to set aside distractions and humble ourselves under authority. Shall we pray? Mighty Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the privilege we have to assemble together. We are asking for your hand of blessing upon our study. We're thankful, Father, uh, for this section of the Gospels. We're thankful for this night in which our Savior was betrayed and the, the upper room discourse in which He gave to them the, uh, the preview message that's so applicable here in the church. So, Father, open the eyes of our understanding and uh, bless us once again, Father, with, with this uh, powerful portion of Your Word. We thank You in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Again, main point five in the outline, the church's greater works require requires Trinitarian abiding love. Trinitarian abiding love. And uh, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is on His way, that uh, Jesus is going to ask of the Father, and the Father is going to send the Spirit. And uh, sometimes it's phrased that the Father is sending Him, and sometimes it's phrased that the Son is sending Him. The reality is they're both sending Him. And uh, we, we see that here. We see that in the following chapters. Uh, but not only is the Holy Spirit coming in a new and unique way, a way that he was never here before, not for Israel, not for the Gentiles. But in addition to that, that the Father and the Son also are going to have an abiding presence. And that's what we see throughout uh, this paragraph here. So, the, uh, let's just read through here. Um, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and, that's what he's presently doing, and will be in you. That's what he will be doing when he comes. That is, in the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that will be internalized with the, uh, the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost. Then it goes on. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so understand this is something different. He will come, and he can't come until he goes away. He can't come in the way that he's going to come in the church age until he departs, until he ascends, until he's seated in session. Of Jesus to come in the way that he's talking about here is for him to be seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Hope that we understand how this all comes together now. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. You will see me. You will be a... Uh, there you go. You will be a heavenly people. You will be a spiritual people. 
You will have eyes to see. You will be operating in the heavenly realms. And so you will have your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You will have your, your uh, mind set on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. All right. Now, we, we can understand all of this very well because we have a New Testament. We have the epistles. We are church-age saints able to look back with hindsight with all of these things making sense. For, for these 11 disciples on this night, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. Their heads are spinning related to this. All right. But after a little while, the world will no longer see me. The cosmos will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And this is why I've titled this the Trinitarian Abiding. It includes not just the Holy Spirit, but through the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us, we now have the spiritual equipping to have the indwelling of the Father, the indwelling of the Son. And so the Son is in the Father, we are in Christ, Christ is in us, and we have a mutual reciprocal abiding on a Trinitarian basis. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. All right. So we have uh, the nature of this. Now, if I stop in verse 21, it seems conditional, does it not? It seems that, well, this is maybe something that comes and goes. Maybe this is something that depends on us to make it happen, that he who uh, has my commandment and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father. All right. So this kind of seems like if I if I flake out and if I if I stop loving Jesus and I stop obeying the commandments, well, then um, I will no longer at that point be loved by God the father. Could you read it that way? Possibly. Or. You could read it on a, a positional basis and by the fact that we are, that, that this is a description of believers. You know, he who has my commandments and keeps them. In other words, those that are in Christ, those that are saved positionally, eternally as an ongoing abiding thing. And so we have to look to the larger context to ask ourselves, well, which way is this? Is this conditional depending on us? Is this like the filling of the Holy Spirit? Can we lose it when we're out of fellowship? Or is this like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Do we always have it even when we are out of fellowship? Okay. And then I think the question that Judas asked here is going to really be key for us to, to lock this down, to make it very clear. God doesn't stop loving us even when we're under discipline. Right? When does God stop loving us? Even when I'm out of fellowship, even when I'm, out of, when, when I'm in carnality, when I'm under divine discipline, when I've lost the filling of the Holy Spirit, does the Father stop loving me? His discipline is an, an application of fatherly love. And even if I die the sin and the death, he still loves me. That's an eternal love. All right. Now, the idea, though, of that intimacy and that fellowship, let's look at this question now. Because, again, to look at verse 21, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So we have a father and son love. That father-son love. And I will disclose myself to him. Greater teaching. This is something, I don't think we covered this yet. I'm going to talk about this. In the, did I give you subpoint E yet? I did not. Okay. Well, then let's pick it up there. 
So we're going to deal with that and then we'll move on into uh, verses 25 and following one. But now let's look at Judas's question, though, in verse 22. This is Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the cosmos? Okay, so we, uh, Judas here recognizes there's something new happening here. There's something different. There's something intimate that only those in this love relationship are going to have this disclosure. There are things that are spoken to us as the bride of Christ in the love relationship with the Father and with the Son. And the, the cosmos doesn't get this. Okay? This is not gospel information that goes to the cosmos. This is not general revelation that goes to the cosmos. This is special revelation. And more than that, this is specific special revelation that is limited to the body of Christ, limited to the bride of Christ. So what has then happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so we realize this is a positional estate. This is like he who believes and, and we, we've got to be very careful because there are, there are some Armenians out there that view passages like he who believes and they say, well, what if I stop believing? What if I stop believing? What if you know, I believe this year, but next year I, I may stop believing? Okay, That's why it's important that we recognize that in these passages when we talk about he who, and when we talk about the, the nature of our relationship, that it's speaking in a positional frame of reference. It's speaking in a large picture. Okay? And so it's not a matter of he who believes and stays believing and never stops believing and so forth. He who believes has the Son for all eternity. He who loves is in this relationship for all eternity, but specifically limited to church-age saints. You cannot take this passage and apply it to Old Testament Gentiles, Old Testament Jews, or even millennial uh, Gentiles and Jews. This is limited to the uh, love relationship of the body of Christ. Now, under this, we've had A, B, C, D, but I didn't give you E. Okay. Well, the new commandment for the church is to love one another, and this is motivated by integrity love for Jesus Christ. As we maintain that love, it helps us to motivate our love for one another. Under point B, we gave the word study of agapao and agape and uh, evaluated the different concentrations there. Under point C, loving Christ and keeping His commandment requires the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. This is uh, why this was not a feature of the Old Testament, why it was not a feature for Israel. They were expected to wait for their Messiah, but to have this abiding, indwelling, mutual, reciprocal, uh, integrity love, they, they weren't equipped for that. We are. We are equipped for that. It requires the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, verses 16 and 17. Under point, um, there were some subpoints there as well. This is the first of a series of words concerning the Spirit in this episode. Not only here, but a few verses down in verse 26, it's going to come back again. We're going to see that here today. In chapter 15, it's mentioned again. In chapter 16, it's mentioned again. So time and time and time again on this upper room discourse. What I'm thinking of more and more is the church age preview before the mystery is unveiled. It's a preview they don't understand until the church is unveiled. Then with hindsight, they can go back and make sense of it all. 
So uh, this is the first of a series of words concerning the Holy Spirit. Seeing the invisible becomes a feature of the church. And those were the subpoints under C. Point D, the loss of Jesus' physical presence does not abandon us without personal divine parenting. And this is very important. He's going to come back to this again when he says, you know, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. It would be detrimental for him to stay on the earth after his resurrection. The, uh, the, session of Jesus, the ascension and session of Jesus Christ makes the church age as powerful as it is. The loss of Jesus' physical presence does not abandon us without personal divine parenting. The abiding Father-Son indwelling of the church is a presence far greater than physical presence is capable of. And, and truly, this one slide, in a nutshell, is the entire Upper Room Discourse. The entire Upper Room Discourse is summarized with this thought. Because the eleven are the most intimate of all the disciples Abraham had. Sure, he fed 5,000. Sure, he had hordes at various times. But these eleven were the ones that stuck by him and, and through, through it all. These were his closest eleven. Peter, James, and John were the closest three. John was the closest one. But they didn't know him like the church age saints can know him. And they didn't love him like you and I can love him. We're going to see that in the next chapter. They were not equipped to exercise agapao love like you and I are, are equipped and commanded to exercise agapao love for Jesus Christ, for God the Father, for one another. And they had physical presence. They walked with him. They ate with him. They, they slept with him. They traveled. They did all this stuff. But that permanent indwelling, abiding of the Father and the Son, they didn't have that. The permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they didn't have that. And so let's not confuse uh, proximity with intimacy. The, um, this presence that we have is far greater than physical presence is even uh, is capable of. Which then gets us now to point E. What is loving one another? Loving one another. What does it equal? What are these verses putting in parallel? Loving one another equals the Father and Son loving us. Loving one another equals the Father and Son loving us. And it features an intimate love disclosure. You could add by Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one that will disclose Himself to us. Loving one another equals the Father and Son loving us. And it features an intimate love disclosure by Jesus Christ to us. And it features an intimate love disclosure by Jesus Christ to each one of us. Again, this happens when the cosmos no longer sees Jesus Christ. They saw Him. They rejected Him. They saw Him. They crucified Him. He departed. He's now seated at His Father's right hand. We see Him. And we now have an intimacy, a love, disclosure, it says. I will uh, love Him and will disclose myself to Him. And we get to learn. This disclosure is, is revealing. This disclosure is the, uh, 
the revelation, the, the sharing of um, really personal intimacy. When you disclose yourself to someone, think about who you disclose yourself to. Hopefully not everybody. I think that's part of the tragic nature of our Facebook generation. People just, you know, it's the public undressing of private lives that we read about in, in the, the Bob Gann material, right? You know, I mean, there are things that only your spouse is entitled to. And there's an intimate disclosure that the bride of Christ receives that only the bride of Christ is entitled to. We should know Jesus Christ greater, better, more intimately than any believer that's ever walked this earth or ever will. Greater than the Old Testament saints. Greater than the millennial saints. Greater than the fullness of time. A thousand generations of the fullness of time will not be as intimate with Jesus Christ as we are commanded to be. That's powerful. So loving one another equals the Father and Son loving us. To me, this is huge. This is almost like the... In fact, I would... If it helps you to think of it this way, think of it this way because it's similar to fellowship in 1 John. 1 John teaches us about fellowship. Are you familiar with that? Hold your finger here in John 14 and then look over at fellowship in 1 John 1. How do we have fellowship with one another? How do I have fellowship with you? We sit down and drink a beverage and talk about the spurs. I mean, how do we have fellowship? Yeah. I, I can talk about the San Antonio Spurs with an unbeliever. But the point is, is we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son. And we're told this. Uh, verse 3 of 1 John 1, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And how is that even possible? Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's how you can have fellowship. You can meet a total stranger. You can go to Ukraine. You can go to Kiev. I can introduce you to some brothers and sisters in Christ over there. And you've never met them before in your life. But they have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And you have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And so you come together and what do you start doing? You start discussing the things of the Father and the things of the Son as revealed in His Word. And the Holy Spirit is going to energize all this. And what, before you know it, what, what, what are you observing? What are you experiencing? You're experiencing fellowship, koinonia. In fact, it's the only way to experience koinonia. If that, if that koinonia with the Father and the Son is broken, then very quickly you're going to lose your koinonia with one another, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and it, it's not hard to illustrate. You know, think about a, a brother that you used to have great fellowship with. And these days, they're really not that hungry for truth. They're hardly in Bible class. They're not really growing. They're not spiritually minded. They're not focused on the Father and the Son. So what is your fellowship like with that brother these days? Is it the same as it used to be? No. It can't be. It's impossible. So now we come back to John 14. And what, we, what do we observe here? We observe that koinonia fellowship is not the only concept that requires this. It's actually love as well. Love for the Father, love for the Son, love from the Father, love from the Son. And as we maintain that love channel, are we able now to love one another? You bet we are. We were told that was a requirement for loving one another was loving Christ. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. That's verse 15. What's his commandment? To love one another. So we can't love one another if we don't love Jesus Christ. And what we learn, uh, I mean, that's just basic. Should I say that again? We cannot love one another unless we love Jesus Christ. Now let's build on that. In the church age, love for Jesus Christ turns into love for the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me. And love for Christ is being loved by the Father. And so we see this here. He who has, uh, in that day, backing up to verse 20, in that day, see, it's not this night in which he's betrayed, it's the coming day. It's the coming day in which the world no longer sees him. It's the coming day after he's ascended to the Father's right hand. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And we realize that love for Jesus Christ does a whole lot more than just simply allow us to love one another. Love for Jesus Christ puts us into this love relationship with the Father. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So this puts us into this relationship. We love Jesus Christ. The Father loves us. And this is our positional estate in Christ. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, this is talking about this disclosure, this intimate love disclosure, and the way that we know Jesus Christ. And how do we know Jesus Christ? How, do we, how does he disclose himself to us through this, through this circumstance? All right, so we see it here. To me, this is, uh, this is amazing. The idea of, uh, you know, knowing, knowing the Son. It's part of why God even created humanity in the first place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do they need anything else other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do they need creatures? No. But the Father, such was the love the Father had for His Son, and the desire to manifest that love to others motivated Him to create. It's the Father's plan for others to love His Son like He loves His Son. And, and that's why we're here. And that's why we're regenerated. And that's why we're born again. And, and that's what we, we're going to do for all eternity. You know, His wrath is limited to the third and fourth generations of those who hate Him, but to a thousand generations of those who love Jesus Christ. It's all about us and our love for Jesus Christ. And as we love Jesus Christ, the Father loves us. And we get this greater insight into what does it mean to, be, to, to love Jesus Christ. In any event, <laughs> no wonder their heads were spinning. <laughs> they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't, uh, you know, they just, you know, they're, they're just coming to grips with, yeah, he's the Christ. He's going to defeat the Romans and, and lead us into the millennium. And, uh, and now he's not doing that. Now he's going to die and go to a cross and, they weren't sure they liked that. In fact, they didn't like that. So they're having a pretty rough night. And uh, it won't be until years later. I mean, it'll be after, well, 50 days later on Pentecost. But after the Holy Spirit comes, after the, after the church begins, after mystery doctrine starts to unfold, after the New Testament is written, then they come back to this message. They come back to this night in which he's betrayed. And how much of this is recorded in Matthew? None. Or Mark? Or Luke? None. All right. It, it's, it takes decades later 
And all of this content and all of this doctrine, all of this realization comes to the Apostle John. He says, this goes into the Bible. This goes into my gospel. And the fourth gospel gets written for the church. It's an awesome thing. Now, so let's, let's take a look at 25 and following, which is point six in the outline. Jesus' present message will be understood fully in the coming dispensation of the church. Jesus' present message will be understood fully in the coming dispensation of the church. Verses 25 through 31. His present message will be understood fully in the coming dispensation of the church. John 14, verses 25 through 31. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But. <laughs> okay? These things... And context for that, everything he's spoken to them since Judas went out to, to fetch the soldiers. Again, John fourteen twenty five. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. The whole upper room discourse. Everything he's said to them since he said, Judas, what you do, do quickly. And Judas went out. These things. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. They are not capable tonight, this Thursday night, April 2nd, they are not capable of comprehending what he's telling them here in this upper room discourse. It's going to require the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's going to require the teacher for the church age to guide them into all things. And. How do you add an and to all things? Okay. It's important. And it gets overlooked. And I think it's vital. I think it's absolutely vital. Because if you're going to talk about all things, that's everything. But then if you're going to add an and on top of the all things, there's something significant going on there. You know, Christ is promoted when the Father uh, rewards Him at the ascension and, and He's given His head over all things. Right? And something more. He's also made to be head over the church. Why is the church not included in the all things? How do you add an and to the all things? Because the church doesn't exist yet. The all things is everything, and that's too small, so let's create something new that doesn't even exist to add to the all things. Likewise here, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things. He will teach you all things and... What can you do more than learn everything? Remember it and correlate it with something else that had previously been taught to another group. In other words, all things that's given to the church and correlate it to what had previously been given before there was a church. 
bringing to remembrance a previous revelation that has to be connected to the new revelation once the Holy Spirit descends. All right. And uh, to me, this is really the essence of our methodology, our tradition, our uh, church uh, style, if you will, of line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's why we teach whole counsel. That's why we can't ignore the Old Testament. We have to correlate the Old Testament to the New Testament. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. We don't just do that, uh, you know, for wrong motivation. We do that because this is the pattern we have in Christ. All right. So, uh, these things have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, now the second time we've had this mention, uh, we were told the, the Helper was, we were told in, in verse 16, the Spirit of Truth, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Something else Israel could never have. We have this. This peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, and this is the second class condition, it is not true. Just like if you had known me. Here's the second time he comes to this. If you had loved me. You don't love me. All right? Not in the way you're going to in the church. If you had loved me, if you had loved me, and you don't, but if you had, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. But because you don't love me, you're not rejoicing. You're grieving on this very night. You don't even understand that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. You know, the other day I heard an unbeliever mocking the death of Christ. Mocking as if to him it just made no sense, right? So he was... He thought he was scoring big and making a big point by mocking the crucifixion. Little did he know that he was actually illustrating Scripture that says that the cross is foolishness to the, <laughs> to the unbelievers. No wonder he's mocking it. So in his mocking, he's validating Scripture. Um, and his whole thing is that, well, so what, is, what does God really do by dying in our place? What does he really do? So he dies... And then he's not dead anymore. You know, like, is that supposed to impress him? And as the mocking unbeliever he was, he failed to be impressed and he let that be known. But failing to understand what this verse here is talking about, the world may know that I love the Father. The humility of Jesus Christ, who, in the form of God, <laughs> did not have to die, did not have to uh, even take on mortality, didn't have to humble himself, didn't have to walk this earth, didn't have to be tested, didn't have to suffer, didn't have to die on the cross. So why did he? 
And it's too human, it's too anthropocentric, it's too selfish to say, well, he did it so that we could be saved. I I think that's a baby answer. I think a better answer is he did it because his father asked him to do it. He did it because he loved his father. And as a consequence, and of course, yes, we do get saved, but the primary motivation wasn't so we could be saved. Jesus Christ did it because he loved his father. His father asked him to do it. That's the more mature answer. All right, to understand that he loved the father. And that's the pattern for us. If we're going to love Christ and we're going to love the father, then we better be sacrificial. We better be humbling ourselves. We better be esteeming the other as more important than ourselves. We better be willing to lay down our life. There's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends. Do we love one another? Are we going to lay down our life? You know, all too often Christian love is only uh, so far as it uh, doesn't inconvenience me too badly. All right? I, I will love one another so long as, you know, I get something out of it. Or, all right, I scratch your back this time, but it better be... My turn next. That's not sacrificial, unconditional, integrity, love. All right, that's the way the world operates. So, the uh, the application here. I don't blame them for not understanding this. They weren't equipped to understand this. There's no way they could have understood this. But they will once the church is unveiled. Now, I think it's interesting. We've got a contrast between verse 25 and verse 26 here. Let's look at it. These things, sub-point A, these things is inferior to all things. These things, in verse 25, is inferior to all things, in verse 26. And demonstrates the superior nature of the church. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. And how limited was that? Greatly limited. He was, he, he was under unbelievable limitations. There were, there were things he wanted to say, but he couldn't. They weren't able to bear them now. There were things he wanted to tell them, but um, there just wasn't the time. In fact, he's already stayed in that room longer than he should. He says... Uh, so that the world may know. Look how the chapter ends here. So that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. They've already stayed in that upper room longer than is safe. They've got to get out of there before Judas shows up with the soldiers. He still has uh, more to teach. And he has a high priestly prayer to offer up first before he will allow himself to be arrested. And so then he gives uh, the content of chapter 15 and 16 while he's walking to the garden. And you expect that while they're making their way from the upper room to the garden, uh, the soldiers are making their way from the, from the temple area to the, to the upper room, finding it empty, ransacking it, probably mugging the, the uh, household owner. Where did they go? What do you know? And then Judas says, well, there's that garden he likes to pray in. Let's go look there. Okay. In any event, these things, from verse 25, is inferior to all things. Verse 26. All of the Old Testament is inferior to the church age revelation. We were in 1 Peter 1 on Sunday. 
Things into which angels long to look. Not even the angels have what we have in the church age for our revelation. Old Testament prophets, they, they made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Holy Spirit within them was indicating. It was revealed to them they weren't serving themselves, but you. All right? Daniel kept asking questions all the way to chapter 12. He keeps asking questions, more and more questions. And finally, the Lord says, that's enough, Daniel. This isn't for you. Relax. What you have had revealed, put it in a book and then go your way. You're done. Your ministry is complete. The church has the greatest revelation of anything. We've got the Hebrew canon. We have the Greek canon. We have the mind of Christ. All things pertaining to life and godliness. All right. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the teacher for the church. The Holy Spirit is the teacher for the church. This shouldn't be new to anyone sitting here. You've had this before. Is there anybody in this room that does not know that the Holy Spirit is your teacher? Okay. And yeah, maybe there's somebody listening on MP3 that says, what's he talking about? Well, everybody here knows it. We've had teaching on it before. We've known it for years. We probably take it for granted. We forget how unique we are. We forget how unique this teaching ministry is. We forget how revolutionary this promise is. Israel, they had priests and they had Levites to teach them about the Bible. And usually they were kind of worthless. <laughs> you know, a lot of the time they were drunks and godless and they weren't really all that great shakes anyway. And they were their teachers. In between the Testaments, uh, you had a class of scribes that arose and you had some, some, some other scholars, Pharisees, for example, that arose. And the greatest of all the teachers, the Pharisees, even they had limitations. Jesus was shocked. He's ministering to Nicodemus. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and you have need to learn these things? You don't even know what it means to be born again. <laughs> okay? So, for an Old Testament saint to learn the Torah, to learn the Bible... Their uh, Hebrew scriptures, who's going to teach them? And this promise that the Holy Spirit's going to come from heaven, going to live inside of you, and is going to teach you all things? Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's not take that for granted. So we have a teaching role. He will teach you all things. He will bring to remembrance all that I said to you. There's a teaching role and a memory role which is good because I need it. <laughs> that memory roll. Man. All right. And just in case they didn't get it the first time, he brings it back up again in chapter 16. John 16. Let's back up to verse 12. I know the slide says 13 and 14, but let's look at verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. You better realize, I mean, so much more that he would love to unveil, but they're not equipped. They are not, they can't deal with it. An Old Testament saint can't deal with church age revelation. And plus, he himself isn't even able to unveil the mystery. All I can give them is this preview night before, before Pentecost. Many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... 
He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And, you know, this is identical to what Jesus was doing. He said, I'm not speaking on my own initiative, but what I hear from my father, that I teach to you. Okay, so the pattern the disciples enjoyed while Jesus walked this earth was to hear from the father and speak to them. That same pattern is now faithfully executed by the Holy Spirit. But he's taking from the father and the son, disclosing now to the bride of Christ. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. So not only present revelation pertaining to the church, but also the the greatest eschatology ever to uh, ever to, to put it all together. Israel had a powerful eschatology. You have the whole message of the prophets, Isaiah to Malachi, right? Plus Psalms and Moses and, and so many. I mean, you take you take Genesis to Malachi and develop an unbelievable eschatology. But you need the New Testament to tie it all together. You need John and the Revelation to tie that all together. You need Jesus in the Upper Room Discourse and the Olivet Discourse to tie it all together. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus is the heir of all things, and we're in him. (laughs) We're in him. That's awesome. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher for the church. It was promised twice in this uh, final, final message. This is his last message for the disciples. He's going to go to the garden. He's going to pray. He'll have a, a couple more brief things that he'll say to Peter, James, and John. You know, when he, each time he wakes them up in the, in the, in the prayer meeting there. But he'll have a few things that he'll say to Peter, James, and John. But this is really the last Bible class to the eleven. And uh, until after his resurrection. Of course, we're used to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The Holy Spirit is the teacher for the church. And we're going to be cautious with this because you can't, uh, you can't take it the wrong way. But we do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the teacher for the church. Does this mean that no Old Testament believer could learn anything? Well, obviously that's not true. David was intimate with the Lord. He learned all kinds of things. The psalmist in Psalm 119 learned doctrine and was able to study the, the law. Daniel was able to study the writings of Jeremiah and he was able to learn. You know, believers can learn. If you have a living human spirit, you can learn the Word of God. But they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to teach them. Combining the Spirit with the Spirit. Combining the Holy Spirit with a living human spirit. And so it's to us, it's to us that God revealed through the Spirit. And when you, when you recognize that this is mystery doctrine, mystery doctrine, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Verse 6 says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, God's wisdom for the church age. Not Old Testament baby stuff. Mature doctrine for church age believer priests. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. 
we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Wisdom that was reserved for the church. Wisdom that was not a part of Israel's package, Israel's revelation, Israel's uh, earthly estate. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. A huge part of why he kept it mystery doctrine was so that the fallen angels wouldn't understand what was in store for them. What was in store after the cross. They didn't have a clue. They thought it was their greatest victory, crucifying the Christ. And they were sealing their own doom. That's what left them disarmed. If they'd have known, they wouldn't have done it. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear heard and which has not entered in the heart of man, all that God has prepared, notice now, for those who love Him. It's a prophecy from Isaiah, but no Old Testament saint would have ever had a clue. What does it mean to be in this love, this Trinitarian abiding love relationship with God the Father, with Jesus Christ, with God the Holy Spirit? The Hebrew Scriptures prophesied it, but it wasn't for them. It was for us. For to us, to the church, God revealed through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. This is ours, our estate, our inheritance. We have received, verse 12 says, we have received not the spirit of the cosmos, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now, the things freely given to us are the grace things, the, uh, the basically the position possessions, the, um, the grace package of our salvation, our positional truth of being in Christ. It takes the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to recognize this. The Holy Spirit is the one that testifies with our human spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is, is what allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual. I think that's spiritual in terms of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit with our learning ministry of our human spirit. Combining spiritual with spiritual. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Okay. Now this is where I think some people go wrong because they fail to identify that Old Testament believers were still spiritual men. They didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them and teaching them, but they had living human spirits the moment they got saved. David was a spiritual man with a living human spirit. Any Old Testament believer was a spiritual man, not a natural man, at the moment of their salvation. All right, does that make sense? So they can apprehend the things of God because they're spiritually alive. But they didn't have that permanent indwelling Holy Spirit to teach, uh, to teach them the, uh, the depths of God, the deep things of God. That's for us only. That's for us only. So 14 through 16, understand, that's or 14 through 15 is equally applicable to Old Testament, New Testament believers alike. But uh, 10 through 13 is all about us, and verse 16 is all about us. We are the ones that have the mind of Christ. All right? An Old Testament believer could not make that claim. Could not make that claim. Likewise, 1 John, 1 John 2, verses 20 and 27. 
John made this a feature of his gospel. He made this a feature of his first epistle. I like how the gospel of John, the life and story of Christ for the evangelism of the lost, and then 1 John is the practical application for the born again, for the believer. How do we have that fellowship? How do we live the Christian way of life? But 1 John 2, 20 and 21. The, um, verse 15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That abiding love we're supposed to have by loving Jesus Christ. The Father loves us. The Father and Son come and they make their abode in us. Well, you're going to lose that if you throw Christ off the boat and just embrace a love for the world again. Uh, Children, is the last hour. Just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Somebody asked me the other day, do you think we're in the end times? Yeah, I agree with the Apostle John. He said we were in the end times way back in uh, you know the 80s AD. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years now almost. And I'm not all that worked up about Antichrist coming because many Antichrists have been around since the first century. And uh, they went out from us, but we're not really of us. Now, be careful. You can't just say anytime somebody leaves the church, it's because they were Antichrist. And they, 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 <laughs> no. It can happen, but not every time somebody leaves the church. You there are people that leave for the right reasons that go to their next assignment. And the Lord has moved them from one flock to another. Um, but this is the circumstance here. Um, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For the, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they're not all of us. Now, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. All right, this is again part of this anointing. This is part of the Holy Spirit as our teacher. Uh, who was anointed in the Old Testament? Prophets, priests, and kings. What do we have for our anointing? Well, the priesthood of, in Christ, right? And so here we are. We have the anointing from the Holy One. And part of that anointing is a knowledge of the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now, I'm not going to really expand on that a whole lot, but just chew on it. Give that some thought. This, this denial of the Father and the Son. Why do we have this emphasis on the Father and the Son dealing with the love that we have, that the Father loves us, the Father makes His abode in us, that the Son makes His abode in us? That dynamic of the Father and the Son, they're inseparable. He says, I and the Father are one. That, that, that inseparable love of the Father and the Son that we have in Christ. To deny that is the spirit of Antichrist. Alright, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. All right. We'll deal some more with that here as well. I think the um, the neat thing about this, kind of like the the sense of uh, 
um, we never lose the indwelling of the Holy Spirit even when we lose the filling. We never lose the indwelling of the Father and the Son, but we ourselves will stop abiding in the Father and the Son. We ourselves will go out of fellowship and, and quit focusing on Christ and start focusing on the things above. It doesn't change the reality of where our position is, but we've certainly broken that fellowship. We've certainly lost that, uh, that love, that mutual reciprocal love relationship. All right. But it's because we left him, not because he left us. <laughs> All right. We might be out there living in the world, feeding the pigs and wishing we could eat as well as them. Uh, but when we go back to our father, he's waiting to welcome us home every time because we never lose our sonship. And man, I enjoy that. Enjoy that a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, down finally then to verse 27 of this chapter. 1 John 2, 27. Uh, 25 says, This is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you. See, this is ripe. False teachers come in. Satan would just love to get you all twisted around and confused, thinking that you can lose your salvation or thinking that you know the Father's going to stop loving you because you're such a loser. All right. No. Don't fall for that pack of lies. Just laugh at him and say, you're right, I am a loser. But guess what? In Christ, I'm a conqueror. And uh, I appreciate that. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. This is the anointing. This is what teaches us. All right, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, called here the anointing. All right, so the Holy Spirit is the teacher for the church. Not only that, but teaching, point C, teaching is reinforced by reminder for correlation. Teaching is reinforced by reminder for correlation. John fourteen twenty six. Teaching is reinforced by reminder for correlation. Teaching is reinforced by reminder for correlation. It's not enough to simply for the Holy Spirit to simply unveil mystery doctrine. In addition to that, He's going to remind them of all the Hebrew canon of Scripture. He's going to reveal church age doctrine. And then He's going to go back to reveal Gentile doctrine, Israel doctrine. And, and bring it to the remembrance for correlation. For correlation. In other words, how then does this relate? How then does this apply? How then do we adapt? How then do we make application? Do we make primary application? Do we make secondary application? The Holy Spirit's going to do that as well. We're not commanded to throw out our Old Testament or to ignore Gentile doctrine or Israel doctrine. He says he will teach you all things and, in addition to that, bring to remembrance all that I've spoken to you. Specifically, the, the exact promise is to open your eyes to make sense of what I'm telling you here on this night. <laughs> okay? 
to, so uh, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the upper room discourse. And you're going to put it together with a mystery doctrine. It's all going to make sense. Teaching is reinforced by reminder for correlation. You know, if you think about it, um, should you wait until after you're married to then um, start studying the doctrine of marriage? I don't recommend that. <laughs> okay. You know, if there's, if there's young people, single people, and they're thinking about getting married someday, well, now's a good time to go ahead and start getting that doctrine of marriage before you're married. Get the doctrine now. All right? But also recognize that, that you're not done simply because you studied it once. Okay? All right? And then, or twice, or how many times, maybe you studied it 50 times before you got married. Great. Glad you did. But once you are married, what do you want to do now? Go back and get it again. Right. Review it. Bring it to remembrance. Because now, what happens? Now, now you've got something to correlate it with. Now you've got something, the experience, the, the testing, the venue, the whole scope of, of marriage. Now, and it's not just academic anymore. I'll be honest. It's easy when it's academic. You know, the single guy reads the doctrine and says, well, this is a breeze. Come on, this is just obvious. You, you learn the scriptures, you apply the doctrine, you, you grace the other person out. Easy. We'll pass every marital test there is. And then you get married and you fail every marital test there is. And you say, well, it was supposed to be easy. Okay, it's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Did you hear Coach Popovich the other night? It's not supposed to be easy. A great, great YouTube clip there. I put it on my Facebook wall. I liked it. Um, so teaching is reinforced by reminder for correlation. So now that you are married, you go back and you review it. And you took, take what you studied academically and now you're going to combine it with what you've studied experientially. Because you're still learning by experience and you add what you're learning by experience to what you learned doctrinally in, in, in Bible study, and you allow it to correlate. You allow it to reinforce. Okay? Teaching is reinforced by reminder. I, I think we have a, such a blessing to be able to take the Old Testament doctrine and bring it into our application. What a thrill. What an opportunity to do this. And then D, the peace of Christ it's 10.59 and 55 seconds. <laughs> All right? I'm going to teach you the peace of Christ in five seconds. No, we're going to come back to the peace of Christ next week. The peace of Christ is the great bequest for the church. The great bequest. The great bequest. The peace of Christ is what he's leaving us. Think about it. You can't receive a bequest until the guy that bequeathed it to you dies. Unless you're just some total rebel like the prodigal saying, give me my inheritance now, I'm never going to see you again, and out I go. But Jesus dies, and he has a bequest for us. The neat thing is, of course, is that he didn't stay dead. <laughs> but we get to keep our bequest. We get to keep our what he bequeathed to us. He bequeathed to us a perfect peace. A perfect peace that Israel had 
you know, the, the Israel prophets said, you know, a perfect peace is mine to state on thee. But the Israel prophets never could have dreamed what the perfect peace would be like to have the crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, and seated Jesus Christ. We have the peace that surpasseth all understanding. It's incomprehensible, but we embrace it. It's unfathomable, but we fathom it. We'll come back next week and we'll deal with this. Peace that he mentions in chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 20. Of course, the great church age promises in Philippians 4, Colossians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3. Also one that's not often thought of, but I think it's, uh, it relates well to this, is Hebrews 13. It's Hebrews 13, so we'll talk about that. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. That we have living human spirits, of course, like Old Testament believers had living human spirits. But more than that, we have the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. And Father, He is our teacher. And that's awesome. And I thank you for that. I thank you that, that you're going to be faithful. When we are faithless, you remain faithful. Father, when the, uh, when the earthly shepherd is, is not explaining things very well, Father, your Holy Spirit is awesome, powerful, omnipotent, omniscient. He causes us to learn what we need to learn in, on this day's assignment to glorify your Son. And I thank you for that. Father, uh, we commit to you this uh, ministry again as we go forth. Let it be real, Father, not just an academic study that we understand, but a love relationship whereby we are in love with You, in love with Your Son. You love us. Your Son loves us. He is disclosing Himself to us in very powerful ways. Because, Father, we need it. We need this intimacy. We need the, the power of this disclosure and this revelation. Father, we've got testing going on all over the place. And uh, family members in hospitals and and, uh, and and foreclosure notices on houses. We've got we've got um, husbands walking out on their families, and, and praise God, we've got husbands walking back to their families. But Father, we've got we've got angelic conflict testing that is as severe as I've ever seen it in 16 years of ministry. But Your grace is sufficient, and Your Word is alive and powerful, and You are sustaining us. So Father, I pray that the believers of Austin Bible Church would would be uh, the living sacrifices that Your Word transforms us to be. And I thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.